Welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of the Banded About podcast series. Today, I'll be chatting to a South Australian-born multi-instrumentalist who, along with his partner, who is also a Banded About podcast guest for Series 2, will be competing for a chance to represent the Adelaide Roots and Blues Association at the International Blues Competition, which is to be held in Memphis, Tennessee in 2023. But before I introduce today's guest, it's first time for us to listen to the Banded About theme song, which was written and recorded for the Banded About podcast series by the very talented Catherine Lambert and Michael Mitzi Bryant. It is with great pleasure that I welcome Danny Filmer. Welcome, Danny, and thank you for making time to chat with me today. No worries. My pleasure. Okay, Danny, let's start from the beginning. Where were you born? I was born in the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Adelaide. I grew up in the uh, area of Blackwood, and our road was right on the boundary of Blackwood and Blair. Blair was a very well-to-do suburb, and Blackwood not so much. I went to Blackwood High, but I went to Blair Primary because that was walking distance. It's about that time that I started to get an interest in harmonica. Did either of your parents come from a musical background or anyone else in the family? Not really, but you have to understand that my parents grew up in an era where not too many people had a stereo at home. A few people were lucky and they had a radio in their home, but uh, mostly people had a piano. And everyone would gather around the piano and sing. And if they wanted to see live music, my mum and her sister used to go to Rundle Street or the Rotunda in Elder Park where um, the Salvation Army Band would be playing. They could get their music there. And my mother and her sister used to do terrible things like take along half lemons. And as the band was about to fire up, they'd start chewing into these half lemons and it would ruin the embouchure of the brass section and they'd blow terrible notes while they were trying to play their marching music. Dad and Mum also danced and grew up in the era of jump, zoot suits and jitterbugging and all that sort of stuff. So I grew up with uh, lots of music. My mum was always listening to classical music and my father and my uncle Max listened to a lot of uh, cool stuff. Uncle Matt's had a lot of records from America and stuff like that, so I actually got to hear a lot of black musicians playing blues and jazz and stuff like that. When I went to visit my uncle down in uh, Finden, I really enjoyed that. And for some reason in Blackwood, there was a lot of people playing jazz. It was a bit uh, 
weird for me, a lot of my contemporaries from school and stuff went on to the jazz conservatory and stuff like that. When I'd play them one of my original songs, they'd say, oh, but that's the blues. I'd say, yeah. A lot of these guys playing saxophone and uh, guitar and stuff at the conservatory didn't quite get what I was doing, I don't think. What led to or who influenced you to start playing the harmonica? Okay, well, my sisters are older and a fair bit older. I was like the surprise. Anyway, uh, my sister was studying piano. So in the house there was a piano and when my sister wasn't practising Feralese and the Hungarian Rhapsody on the uh, piano, I, I got to have a go myself. So basically my first song, I, I knocked out a song that I could repeat when I was five years old. I enjoyed playing the piano, but in the 70s, my sister decided to leave home. She moved to a flat closer to uh, Flinders Uni. She was studying education, so she was going to be a teacher. She was doing a dip ed. And uh, when she moved out, she took a piano with her. So I no longer had an instrument in the house that I could play. And at the time, my father was in the Communist Party and he had connections with people in Marion that were still in the Communist Party. One family was the Goss family. A muso from the Goss family, Steve Goss, I used to play all around Adelaide back in the day. And when my sister moved out, he could see I was a bit lost without an instrument. So he gave me a blues harp. I started off doing terrible, rapid, in and out breathing on a harp. And, of course, that sounds like polka music, makes the harmonica sound like a piano accordion. I started listening to stuff like Sonny Terry. I thought, oh, I want to play like that. I listened to what they were doing and had a look at the little piece of paper that you get with a, a blues harp. It shows you how to play when those saints come marching in, picked out those notes. But then after I'd been playing for probably a year or something like that, it just became instinctive. I sort of grew up with the harmonica. I was following the uh, principal of Blackwood High School around the schoolyard. He was doing yard duty where they walk around and look for trouble. I was playing blues on the harp and I was just following around, deliberately annoying him. I don't know if he was a blues fan or not, but eventually he turned around and he said, boy, what is your name? And I said, my name's Danny Filmer. And his face started to twitch and his hands started to shake and he said, not Jane Filmer's little brother. And I said, yep. He went pale and he disappeared very quickly after that because my older sister uh, had a bit of a reputation in Blackwood High and I think the faculty were actually pretty scared of her. Okay. Mm. She could be a scary individual. Right. Mm. She did knock me out a couple of times using a hockey stick. Well, she does sound scary. She could be scary. Like I'd be up in my room making noise with my friends and she'd burst into the room and say we had to be quiet because she was watching a Jerry Lewis movie. It all managed to be quiet for about half an hour and then, of course, the noise would start again and the door would burst open and she knocked me out clean with a hockey stick and told the others to go and they obediently all left. Right, okay. She eventually became a state-level hockey player. It was all good skill training. Mm. Did you study music when you went to school? I was in a school choir in Blair Primary School, and actually they bumped me up a year because I had a good soprano at the time. Even though I was in year five, they put me in with the year sixes, and we all uh, went to the Adelaide Town Hall and sang various songs with all the other school choirs. I did that at primary school level. And then at um, high school level, I was in the music room for the first time in the uh, first year of high school. Our teacher was demonstrating bass line to uh, Maxwell's Silver Hammer. 
and it was on xylophones. We all had a xylophone in front of us and we're all tinkering away, knocking out this bass line to Maxwell Silverhammer. And then I played the melody. I was kicked out and never allowed back into music class in Blackwood High because I played the melody when I was meant to be playing the bass line. I thought it would be okay because everyone else was playing the bass line, but apparently at that time it wasn't a team sport. Okay. You just had to do what you were told, not what you felt. That was the end of music at school, so it wasn't until much later that I took myself to TAFE at Nolunga. And at the time, it was pretty much a jazz college in a way. At that time, I was playing bass, so there wasn't a lot of uh, spots for harmonica players in the music course. No. And bass is a favourite as well. I still like playing bass. Currently, I'm playing cigar box guitars, and they just lend themselves perfectly to work with harmonica. And it means I have to wear one of those uh, Bob Dylan harmonica holder type things because my hands are full with a three-string cigar box guitar but it means i finally get to be able to play harmonica live back where i feel comfortable when i'm playing yeah what was the first band that you joined <laughs> first band i joined was a little thing that uh, my neighbor made up the name for it was severed tendons we were highly inspired by black sabbath at the time i played guitar in severed tendons and later on they called the band endoplasmic reticulum, probably because the uh, the drummer was going through matriculation and he was studying biology and so he thought he'd uh, impart his knowledge on everyone else by uh, calling the band endoplasmic reticulum. So pretty much a garage band and our first gig was a complete disaster. Yes, I was going to ask you if you could remember your first gig. Yeah, so the first gig was a complete disaster, real classic teenager thing. We thought we were ready to play out and... Seriously, we probably only had about eight songs anyway. But on the day, everyone thought that a few drinks beforehand was a good idea. By the time we got on, the other guys in the band could only remember four of the songs. And uh, so we played four songs and then everyone's sort of looking awkwardly. And it was the under-13s annual tennis club for the Catholic Church in Blackwood. And so then we said, we'll organise musical chairs for you. And we put the chairs around in the circle and we played the stereo and when we turned it off, someone would be without a seat and it was a huge success, but the actual playing part was a complete disaster. (laughs) (laughs) And no harmonica because it wasn't sort of very bluesy. It was more in the genre of Black Sabbath rock and roll. There wasn't a lot of space for harmonica, even though I, I was playing harmonica quite well at the time. It wasn't part of the genre Obviously, at that time, we hadn't listened to Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath and heard the song Wizard, where Ozzy Osbourne whips out a harmonica and plays it really quite well, actually. I actually cover that song today, so don't mind the Black Sabbath the bluesy style. And I guess, uh, like Black Sabbath, like so many of the English, we used to call them rock bands, the English rock bands, but of course, they're all doing covers of 1920s, 1930s blues songs. At the time, you didn't know that. You thought that uh, When the Levee Breaks was written by Led Zeppelin, but of course, later on you found out it's Memphis Millie. Mm. So uh, not a lot of room for harmonica there. It wasn't until a bit later that I play harmonica a few times out live with a band, only a couple of songs too, because they had the use of flute and saxophone and occasionally keyboards. For me, I don't like the mix of keyboards and harmonica, especially if the keyboards have an organ sound. If you've got a Hammond, you don't need a harmonica player, I don't reckon. Piano is a little bit different, very different sound. The 
pianos, but as soon as it goes to an organ sound, I think you can lose what my father used to affectionately call the mouse organ. What was the first band that you got to play the harmonica with? It was a band called The Spirit of Alondre, Mm -hmm. and actually they recently played for me at my open mic at Christie's Beach. I have a guest act at the end of the night, and they rolled up, and at the time I was the bass player. But there was a couple of really quiet songs that they did, and it was an opportunity to whip out the blues harp. I just accompanied the main guitarist and the lead singer with a bit of harp. don't think there was any really any drums or bass or any other guitar in the song, just the uh, one guitar, the voice and the harmonica, and it seemed to work quite well. My inspirations being a teenager in the 70s were people like John Mayle, Sonny Terry and Mike Rudd from Spectrum, of course, because of that great song, I'll Be Gone. Mm. and Canned Heat with Alan Wilson knocking out a few tunes on the harp. That's always been a a favourite of mine. And they all have their different things that they do that influence the way I play, I suppose. John Mayle, very famous for his bending of the notes. Sonny Terry, the things he added to harmonica playing was like hooping and hooting and hollering in between notes. In particular, he does a song that he says that uh, his mother wasn't too fond of him playing the blues and stuff like that. It was frowned upon a little bit. But there's a gospel song he could do on harmonica called Beautiful City. His mum used to make him play that all the time. And it's a great song and it was the song that convinced me that actually you can do a song just with the harmonica and voice. So you can do question and answer playing the harmonica and then introduce the voice and then the harmonica replies. If you ever hear that song, Beautiful City, you know what I'm talking about because mm. it's fantastic. And, of course, Spectrum, well, that's just, to me, the quintessential best riff ever on a harmonica is that I'll Be Gone riff. He really did a great job on that song. And a lot of Australian stuff was good. Chain, Black and Blue, the harmonica, and that was beautiful. The main influence on the way I play would be John Mayle and Sonny Terry. A bit later on, Canned Heat, we to this day, play On the Road again. It's a bit of a favourite and, once again, a bit of question and answer. So giving space to the music. I'm not too keen on harmonica players that never stop. If they play all the time, all through the songs, I think they're overdoing it a bit. I see some and they seem to think that the whole song is their opportunity for a solo. I don't think that's the way to play. I think tasteful playing like Roger from the Bluescasters, waiting for your spot, a bit of tasteful comping in the background, nothing wrong with that. I love orchestration. I love hearing music that has a bit of space in it. Your brain's actually more active when there's a pause in the music. University tests have shown that people's brains light up when there's half a bar break in the music. I think that says a lot about the way we listen to music. People forget to leave that space and it just rattles along. And when a harmonica player does that, they lose my interest very quickly because two songs, they've probably played their whole bag of tricks. I like the way a harmonica player will stop playing when the singer is doing their line. You get to hear the vocals clearly, you understand what the lyrics are, and you're not just listening to someone showing off on a harmonica. Mm. There's a bit more in it than people think, I think. There's all sorts of tricks that people do. Some of the local heroes like Rusty Bonnet, he does some great technical tricks on a harmonica. He's a player that will bring the harmonica in when there's space for it and not just play all the time. Do you have a memorable gig story, good or bad, that you'd like to share? A memorable gig story? Well, I mean, I've had some 
fantastic ones lately, I must say. Got a good disaster one, but it's not to do with the harmonica. It's back in the day when I was mainly playing bass. We're up in the Macclesfield Hall, which has absolutely awful acoustics. And as I played a bass note, I could hear that bass note return to me from the back wall about a second later. It was a bit like analog delay or something. And then a, a woman stood up in the audience and started playing a tambourine out of time. <laughs> that was a difficult one. But a, like a really positive one would be recently we played Memphis Slim's Blues Bar in town. We had the dance floor packed. Not that there's much of a dance floor in that fantastic venue, but there was no room left on the dance floor anyway. And people were bopping along and, and singing along if they knew the tunes and tapping their feet. That was a really good, memorable gig with Sudan, just Sue and I, knocking out the tunes. And obviously we just hit the right chord for that group of people. Maybe it's the uh, the space and the music inspired them to get up. And people seem to really like it when I play harmonica out live. Another memorable one is the Nola Bar in uh, the East End. During the Fringe Festival, they got to use the alleyway that runs down off uh, Runnell Street next to the Stag Hotel and a tiny little stage. So if you weren't a duo, it wasn't happening, I don't think. Anyway, uh, people would be wandering past and just seeing their friend show and then they'd see there was music in the alleyway and they'd come in and afterwards so many people thanked me for playing some harmonica. It was really cool that I could see that they were really enjoying the harmonica lines and came up and shook my hand and bought me a drink and all that sort of stuff at the end of the night. When they're complimenting specifically that instrument, you know, you must have been on the right track, I think. Yeah. Is there a band that you wish that you'd had the opportunity to play with? <laughs> For sure. I would have loved to play with the Magic Band. Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band. Treble is Captain Beefheart. He's one of my uh, later influences, Captain Beefheart, and the way he played the harmonica. But it would have been cool to be the harmonica player in that band because they would work with so many polyrhythms in the music. The guitarist would be doing a completely different rhythm to the drums and the bass, and, and then the singing would be in yet another sequence, and then the harmonica playing would be a bit like singing in unexpected places. So, yeah, I would have loved to play with the Magic Band, but Captain Beefheart isn't with us anymore, so guess that won't happen. How do you prepare before a show? Practice. I don't think that you're doing justice to the audience if you're not practised up. I know a lot of people, you know, just think, oh, I'm, oh, I'm red hot, I don't need to practise, but then I see them and they might be, you know, one of the best musos around but they're with three other of the best musos around. The connection's not there, and the connection will be much more solidified if they'd put a bit of practice into the gig before they rolled up. Yeah. So you can roll up and you can be the best guitarist or the best harp player or best drummer, best bass player, best vocalist or whatever, but if each individual isn't working together, then you lose that cohesion. And I was talking about space before, you get sort of bad space where uh, I can hear and feel that the music isn't gelling. I see it, you know, amazingly at really high levels of musicians and they just throw themselves in. You get the other way too. Sometimes you just go, wow, how did they put that together just like that? So you're amazed that they can come together without rehearsal and play so fantastic. But the uh, normal rule of thumb is that doesn't matter how good you are, if you're not rehearsing the music that you're about to play, then 
I reckon you're not giving the audience value for money and I think you should always do your best. Yeah, definitely. What type of harmonica do you play? Okay, so I've gone through a series of, you know, playing different harmonicas over the years. Even had a favourite brand somewhere in the 80s and you can't get them anymore called Hawang. They were sort of boomerang shaped or like a banana sort of curved around but they were a blues harp and they were really, really cheap and they sounded good, so I was happy with them. But nowadays people try to get me to try another brand like Fender or some of the other brands around and I've just settled on Special 20 Horners and the reason for that is that if I was playing, say, a Fender DeVille or something like that, it would have to be hands-free, so I'd have to have my hands on the harp. That way I could get the sounds out, whereas... A Special 20 is quite a, a light harp for draw and blow. So even in the harp rack, I can get bending and trill and all that sort of stuff without too much effort. Whereas if I was going with the fenders, I, I just can't really get those same sounds that I want because I want to get those uh, John Mayle bends and those uh, Alan Wilson runs and, and stuff like that out of a harmonica and I can't do that if it's a hard to blow harmonica so I can't use a rock harp and there's other blues harps out there even in Horner but I, I just really settled with the, the special 20s because they're light draw and blow and it works well with the setup I have. Excellent. You don't use a special mic or amp when you're playing do you? Not at the moment, but I'm really, I have my bullet mic here. I've got a little valve amp that I play cigar box through. And if I was playing a bigger gig or whatever, what I'd really like to do is, because my hands are full playing a guitar, I'd like to have the bullet mic in a holder on a stand. You see setups like people have a really full-on brace around their neck, like Steve Gower or Josie Smith in New South Wales. They have a really full-on holder, and it holds the bullet mic firm against the back of the harmonica. I mean, that's a possibility, but I reckon I prefer to have the mic on a stand, and then I could turn away from the vocal mic, lean into the bullet, and then get that broken sound. And every now and then, you know, maybe sing a line through the bullet mic as well. Little Walter is the person that brought us the broken harp sound, he started going through an amplifier and treating it as an instrument rather than just going through the vocal mic all the time. He started getting those uh, dirty, broken harmonica sounds that I think probably most people are used to hearing harmonica that way nowadays. Yeah. Unless they're listening to the uh, Bob Dylan folky style of playing, which isn't my favourite genre of harmonica really. You know, it's amazing that the same instrument can sound so different. I prefer it used in the blues style. And every now and then, like, you can you can blow a funk line on a harmonica as well. I've got one song called Dog Eat Dog where I blow out some of those spy-like lines. Yeah, I love that sort of stuff. For me, I think next mission will be to put a brace on my bullet mic. I'll probably have to get myself another little valve amp so I can have one for the harp and one for the guitar. Now, Danny, you've been playing as Sudan since 2016. How did the pandemic impact Sudan? Uh, a good example is January this year when the local government decided to put restrictions on hospitality. So we went from maybe uh, four gigs a month, we'd do a bit of 
uh, busking and, and, and run an open mic down to, I think we had one gig in January. Other times we've had five festivals or whatever lined up. The uh, busking competition and the Byron Blues Fest and all that sort of stuff we had lined up. And all these things, one after another, cancelled. So I look at it in monetary terms, it's probably $10,000 worth of lost performances, I'd say. It's significant. We're really lucky in the middle of the major South Australian lockdown that the Adelaide Roots and Blues Association got us to play a live-to-air streaming show. We were on first and then the Gunther Farber band were after us. It was sort of a PayPal donation situation. We got paid really quite well for that. Venues only allowed to have 25% in a way being a duo. We were quite lucky in that we could fit in a small space. Yes, it was a good time for solos and duo acts due to the restrictions. And if a venue's looking at having live music and they have to have 4.5 metres per square metres per person in their venue, if they have a five-piece band, that means they lose two tables. So I think we were quite lucky in that we were getting gigs even at 25% in venues in town. It meant that, you know, we could work whereas maybe larger bands weren't really getting the work. And I think, you know, that sort of looking inward aspect of the pandemic was quite nice in that blues festivals and that sort of thing were looking at Australian and quite often just single state players. So if you're in New South Wales, you might just be getting people from New South Wales because people from South Australia and Queensland can't travel to your state. You use the players that are available and What do you know? There's plenty of great players locally, and I think that was really a positive that came out of it. Definitely. We lost a lot of work, and I quit my job. I'd been 20 years working in a winery, in wineries anyway, 17 years in the last one I was in. I thought, well, I could work another year or I could just pay my house off with my super and do what I want to do, which is play music. So that's what I've done. I've paid my house off, and now we just do what we like, which is to work as a duo and and go out and sing for our supper. But, of course, the timing wasn't brilliant. 2021 wasn't a great time to launch as a business in the music industry because of the restrictions and all that sort of stuff. And you could see that the effect of the pandemic was actually drying up that street money. Probably a good indicator for the uh, industry as a whole too. What were the positives for you? Well, the positives were that we got repeat business in in small ritzy bars in town and they kept on asking us back and we were playing in places that Oliver Cabani and people like that were playing. So we sort of got established a little bit. You know, there's not a lot of cigar box guitar bands around and there's a certain sound to the cigar boxes that generally I try and play in relation to the open sound of the guitar, harmonise all my uh, scales and, and chords uh, with the open, not all the time. Sometimes I, I change the key, but mostly I try and stick with the key of the guitar. Those sounds of the open tuning of cigar box guitars are really conducive to bringing in harp lines as a solo instrument. It's just great for me to finally be able to use probably my favourite instrument. I'm really grateful and I feel lucky that I can actually play harp out live and professionally, which is a pleasant surprise as well. So, uh, I don't have to be up to my ears in 
filthy grape skins and work 12-hour days, six days a week during vintage and stuff like that, I can stay up until midnight at a smoky bar in town. <laughs> Seems much better. Yeah. I tell you, when I, when I finished working in the winery, I didn't rush to wineries to watch them make wine, but when I finished work, quite often we go and see music our days off and we're always catching acts that we think we might like or we know we like and we go along to see them for the first or if it's a band we know we like, maybe the fourth, fifth time we've seen the band. So music is something we'll go to even when we're not working, whereas winemaking is something that I don't really care if I don't uh, see it live ever again, really. Fair enough. If you could only offer one tip to a brand-new harmonica player, what would it be? Listen to some of the greats. Listen to John Mayer, listen to Sonny Terry, listen to Little Walter, even Howling Wolf, his lines that he played in Smokestat Lightning. It's the phrasing, really, I think. A lot of people do this really sharp attack on a harmonica, a bit like the uh, the player from Timbuk3. I think he had a uh, harp holder as well because he had his hands full of guitar. It's a very sharp attack. It's almost like a, um, a horn line. You know, it's not very structural, not very melodic. It's a stab. It's like a chord or a, a note just blown really hard. And I think the lyrical, melodic sounds that Sonny Terry would do or, or John Mayall or Alan Wilson, those are the lines that you want to listen to. And there's no reason that you can't make up your own lines, you know. And, of course, you do. I tend to make even covers my own. When I'm doing On the Road Again, I don't try and play exactly like Alan Rudd. I do my own version of the song and I do my own harmonica lines. Who are your top three players? My top three? Mm-hmm. Well, Sonny Terry definitely would be the top of my list. I really love the way Captain Beefheart plays harmonica, especially in some of these early stuff like his album, The Spotlight Kid. There's so many great lines and that. A lot of that train sound, that rhythm and uh, the occasional imitation of the old steam train whistle and stuff like that. And then I'd have to say Alan Wilson from Canned Heat. You know, that was his job. He played flute and he played harmonica and uh, he had a great falsetto. That was cool that he got a gig essentially as a harmonica player. He'd be in my top three. And what about locally? Ah, well, Rusty Bonnet, he amazes me. Snooks Deville, Roger from the Bluescasters, and Tony Boss is a guy I've met recently. We run open mics and sometimes we get to do an open mic party and it's like a mini festival. People pay us to come along and set up all our gear. We encourage local artists to get up and play and the people running the show, you know, know that their friends are all accomplished musicians. So they all get up and I got to jam with this guy called Tony Boss and I'm really enjoying the way Tony plays harmonica at the moment. He's exceptional. I think he's uh, he probably should be in a lineup somewhere playing harmonica for sure, I reckon. He's living in a van and he's uh, doing up a boat that he can live in that's moored down in Goa. I'm not really sure about his history and where he came from and everything, but I'd love to see him in a local lineup. Danny, if you could invite any musicians to play with you in a concert anywhere in the world, who would you call? And where would this concert be held? Well, Bootsy Collins on bass, maybe. Let's see. Maybe the guy that played with Tana at Woodstock. Get him just like he was then on drums, because that was fantastic. And someone melodic like 
Santana, not necessarily Santana, but someone that plays lead in a melodic way, not relying on statistical density, not a shredder. I'm not that keen on shredder guitar. So, you know, someone melodic on guitar, BB King, maybe, that'd be cool. And someone with a big old gravelly voice to sing, doesn't need to be a bloke, someone with real heart. Memphis Millie had a great voice and she could front the band or something like that. No. You see footage of Pink Pop, which is a, a European festival of music, and one of my musical heroes, C6 Steve, gets to play there. And these audiences are so vast that they have drive-in projecting screens every 500 metres or something like that so the people at the back of the crowd can still see what's going on on the stage. They're big audiences. They're like 65,000. That's a big audience. So that would just be a hoot because I know when 40 people are into what you're doing, you get a huge amount of energy from them. The audience feeds into what you're doing. A huge crowd, that would just be a blast. And the other end of the scale, something funky like we played Bad Dog the other day and that was great. So maybe heebie-jeebies or something. I think it's a closed store now though. Is there something that you've really tried to play that you couldn't get right or you weren't satisfied with the way that you played it? Probably piano. I never could get the pedal on the left hand quite right. Had a lot of contemporaries that played the piano really nicely and I never could quite play at their level on the piano. I've never really made much of an effort with six string at all, I must say. I'd just pick one up every now and then and then it would be in the cupboard for 11 months and then I'd pull it out and play it again. So I never really made much of an effort with guitar. Danny, you and Sue are currently preparing to compete in the Memphis Blues Challenge final, which is going to be held on the 27th of August. Yes, that's a bit of a big thing. We did apply a few years ago, and of course, just as we had applied, the outbreak started and they informed us that that it wasn't going to go ahead and there was no way they could send anyone to America. So it was cancelled. We waited, and this year again, they said, okay, we're up and running again, let's do the Memphis Blues Challenge. And this time, there was only three entries in the solo duo section. And so we're straight through to the finals, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. We expected to go to a heat and, you know, maybe that would be it. But all the way through to the finals, that's fantastic. And, of course, you're surrounded by Adelaide's best, really. It would be great. It's quite a privilege, you know, to be playing on the same stage as these people that have done so much in South Australia for so long, you know. Excellent. It would be wonderful if you win. <laughs> That'd be wild, wouldn't it? Fiona Boyce did take it out, and she's a a regular cigar box guitar player. I think it might be her sense of humour and her uh, storytelling and her interaction with the audience that really might have given her a bit of a a step up, I think. Good muso, but I think the way she reacts and entertains, I think that might have put her over the line there a bit. I've met her at Cigar Box Guitar Festivals before and she's very personable and we've caught up with her when she came to Adelaide and she judged the last Memphis Blues Challenge that was able to go to America. A favourite local couple, Tin Can Alley, got to go over there, which was great. They're very entertaining as well, very theatrical in their performance. Yeah, it's very vaudeville. Yeah, yeah, it's great. They've got a real routine and they have little shots at each other and get laughs out of the audience. I wish you both the best of luck. Where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? Trying to keep fit and keep on playing music, I think. I'm quite happy to, uh, we earn a, a modest living out of playing music currently. I'm quite happy to just keep going along in that way or if there's other opportunities open up. Someone's been talking about a, uh, a music score for a movie 
recently to us that's going to be made in Australia. So that'd be fun too, to look at a, a reel of footage and see what we think is appropriate as a background. The person that's talking to us comes along to our open mic on a Friday night quite regularly and he's saying that he thinks our style of the slower blues would be really appropriate for this movie. That'd be fun to get a movie score. But I'm quite happy as long as we can keep playing music and enjoying it. I don't want to get to the stage where you dread the next move to the next gig. I've heard of that happening, people getting burnout and all that sort of stuff. Someone said to me they're quite happy to work as a painter and a handyman because it means they can just do the gigs they want to do Mm. rather than having to do gigs because they need the money. What do you hope to have achieved before you do stop playing? Well, I'd like to be in the... uh, top 20 cigar box players in the world that'd be pretty good you know i haven't had much time on that particular instrument i've only had five years or whatever to learn the instrument and i'm learning more and more all the time and uh, just keep playing that instrument and the harmonica together and hone it down and because it's always continuous improvement if you think you've learned it all i think you're wrong there's always something to learn always a way to improve i've been talking about blues harp because that's that's really what i play But, of course, there's a whole other genre of harmonica, which is the chromatic harp with the button on the side. I just love the way, you know, people like French and Zydeco players use the harmonica as a melodic instrument. They're definitely worth a mention. And, of course, our very own Norman Gunston was uh, quite an accomplished uh, chromatic harp player. Frank Zappa actually offered Norman Gunston to tour with the band while they are in Australia. Frank Zappa was getting an interview from the character Norman Gunston. He had his... uh, hair all slicked back and he had his toilet paper on his face and strangely Frank Zappa didn't seem phased by that at all you know how people get shocked by Norman Gunston or Ali G they haven't heard of them before and they see these characters and they assume they're real and they don't know how to take them but I think Frank Zappa saw straight through to the core of Norman Gunston or Gary was doing at the time you know and he said uh, you play a bit of chromatic harp and he got up and played with the band on the show, and that was a really great moment, I think. Great moment in Australian TV. Before we end our chat today, I'm going to ask Danny 20 quick random questions or as many as we can get through in the space of two minutes to close the interview. Are you ready, Danny? Yes, I am. Your time starts now. What was the first album that you purchased? Um, I think it was uh, Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath. What was the name of the Beatles' first hit that included a major part for the harmonica in the opening riff? Oh, uh, Love Me Do, I think, was it? Correct. What was the first song that you learnt to play on the harmonica? Um, When Those Saints Come Marching In. True or false? The harmonica was the first instrument that was ever played in space. I'd say that would be true. Correct. In which decade did the harmonica make the leap from the hands of the blues straight into rock and folk? Um, 60s. Correct. Name a band that you wish you'd seen perform live. Canned Heat. How many members of Led Zeppelin play the harmonica? Just one, I think. It's two. Two. Jimmy Page and Robert Plant. 
Okay. Which harmonica allows you to play all of the notes? Chromatic. Correct. What was the first concert that you went to? Um, Skyhooks. Which famous blues harmonica player pioneered the method of playing the harmonica directly into a bullet type of microphone? Oh, that'd be Little Walter. Correct. Your favourite brand of surfboard? <laughs> uh, McTavish. What was the first single that you purchased? Um, who shot the sheriff? Uh, I shot, shot the sheriff. Bob Marley. The harmonica is used worldwide in many musical genres. Name three of them. Um, Zydeco, blues, rock. We're out of time. Well done. Thank you once again, Danny, for joining me for the Bandit About podcast today. You've been great to chat to, and I hope that everyone who listens finds this as enjoyable as I did. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All of the information and links relating to today's interview can be found in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please share the link with your friends. Until next week, it's goodbye from me, Dice Belaine, Bandit About, proudly supporting live music. Bye. See ya. Don't be with me.